Okay, guys, welcome to episode 10 of the Great Divide podcast. I can't believe it's been 10 episodes, but this is a milestone episode for us, not only because it's the 10th episode, but, you know, we told you last time that we were going to try to do something big for the 10th show, and uh, I think we've really done it. So we've, we've got a great guest today that you guys are going to love, and some might know him from the name uh, Soapy. Some might know him as Camp Smedley. But we have we, we all know him by one name, and Svein is going to give you a hint as to what that name is. A hint? Yes. Uh, I can't give hints. I just need to blurt it out. Well, let's hear it. It's Mr. Flower of Scotland himself, Mr. Hotleg, Bruce Watson. Good day, Bruce. Oh, hello, Bruce. How are you, Bruce? Good job, Bruce. Where's Bruce? Oh my goodness, now that's what you call an introduction, thank you very yes. much. Can you live up to that? How are you doing, Bruce? I'm very well, fine. Hi, Tom. Hey, Hi, Bruce. Um, that, that, that's what you call an introduction, thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's a, it's a thrill for us to have you on the show, and uh, you know, we, we plan on picking your brain here quite a bit. And you've got, you've got Willie Welder, the great Willie Welder, there with you, uh, as you, as you told us, who's going to help. With some with some memory jogging, is that correct? Yes, Willie is my memory jogger. He's sitting there with his welding rods as we speak. So, <laughs> not a pretty sight. Oh, I'm sh- I'm sure it is actually, but uh, well, that's fantastic. Well, we're just gonna go ahead and jump right into it if you guys are good with it. And you know, as always, this is Tom uh, Diskerchival from America, Svein Kjurhog from Norway, and John Guvea is joining us as well. He's gonna be uh, he's he's listening. Maybe occasionally he will jump in. From uh, from storm ravaged New Jersey area, so I'm sure you guys send your good thoughts to him, and they've had a tough time there. So, so yeah, definitely. So let's just jump right into it. I mean, I think the best place to start, Bruce, is with what's happening now. I mean, you guys just did a show recently, a charity gig for in support of breast cancer research, and what are your feelings about it? No, I mean, we, we got asked to do this show um, a few months ago, and it is a it's called Pinktober. And it's for a, a char- the breast, breast cancer charity, mm. um, which Hard Rock um, do in conjunction with um, GHS, who's a music supplier. And we got asked to do it, and obviously Tony had retired a few months ago, and we'd been speaking to Derek, and it was kind of, well, and Derek, you know, you, you're going to have to start someplace, so learn these songs acoustically, <laughs> you know. Um, and it, it worked out fine. We, we had, um, well, we were in the studio a couple of weeks ago, um, recording the first half of a, an album that's coming out and in between that we were just having little acoustic jams um, and Mike who's a great arranger you know he was like you know I want to do Wonderland acoustic I'm going we've never done Wonderland acoustically I don't think it's going to work and he went right sod off Watson come back in five minutes and I'll rearrange it and he, he had this fantastic arrangement um, acoustically of Wonderland um, mm. with a little bar cut off here and it really works, you know, but I guess I'm too close to it, you know. It takes someone else that right. was involved in the writing of that song to come in and, and do something with it, because I would never have came up with that arrangement, and I really enjoy playing it now, you know. Take my hand and be with me in one 
the song that stood out to me was actually Poro Man, which is such an epic song to begin with and big, and you somehow managed to translate it into a sort of big epic acoustic number. So that was uh, very special. And uh, even Mike Sarmonico sounded like uh, it was always made for that part. Yeah, so we again blame Mike on that one because he said, I want to do Poro Man acoustically. I'm going, are you mad? Are you trying to catch a whale? Well, you, can't, you can't do it. Watson. Bog off, you know, come back in five minutes. You know, it's just like, you just got to think differently um, when you're going to try something that you've never tried before, you know.
I think that's something that that we appreciate. I mean, we were talking about this in the last show, just some of the new arrangements that you guys have done with some of the songs. I mean, the, the spirit is still exactly the same, but it's it's just very interesting to hear a new take on these things. Yeah, well, you know, I've heard um, big country songs that, that you've done before this. Yeah. Uh, stuff that we would never, never thought about playing live. And then when you hear yourself doing them and other people doing them, it's like, it's quite interesting. It's just like someone covering one of your songs and you would never think about doing it that way but a good song's a good song and it works you kind of pull that off really well too with angle park on uh one of your live cds with jamie i, I was telling you this when we talked briefly I, I think that's just an incredible arrangement of angle park it's so emotional and passionate and the way it's stripped down so so you've been able to do that before yourself With lips so red, blooms have withered, leaves were shed, tongue stuck in just sad clowns parade. Crushing wine began its call, pointed fingers at us in angle park. Lights are dim, statues grin. In angle park, the fountains quack. In angle park. Yeah, but I mean, I can't even remember. I think we did that up at one of the Lathones gigs that we, Jamie and I used to do. It wasn't rehearsed, really. I mean, I had the lyrics written down just in case we were going to do it. Mm. And I had this mad idea of doing it with a solo vocal and a washboard that John procured for me. <laughs> and in the end, we ditched the washboard and just went for straight guitar, you know? Uh, I love it. I love that version. In fact, at the end of that song, you say... Uh, never done that before and probably never do it again. Yes, so it was the first time we did it. Yeah, I, I it think was, so. It was good fun. Well, yeah, it, but, have, uh, Tom doesn't want it to be the last one. Yeah, I was going to say, you have a vote from me to, to do that again at some point. Oh, but, okay. Uh, well, Jamie and I will do it again. Shut well, let me ask you about, about Derek, Bruce. I mean, you know, obviously that's kind of the biggest news around among fans and the fan base that Tony was leaving and, and Derek is coming in. And, you know, I think a lot of people knew who Derek was, obviously, from Simple Minds and from you playing with him in Four Good Men. But there are probably, yeah. a, probably a lot that don't, you know, know exactly who he is. So can you talk a little bit about Derek and how he's fitting in with the band and kind of what, what he brings to the band? Yeah, well, I mean, Derek's kind of, obviously, I've worked with Derek in the past through the Four Good Men thing, and, and Derek's kind of my twin, almost. We share the same sense of humour. Uh, and I don't know which one's the evil twin. I haven't found that one out yet. But <laughs> Derek and I have got a kind of relationship where he'll turn up at my house with his bass, and I'll go to Derek's with my guitar, and we can we can write together. It's like working with Mike as well, you know. There's certain people that have over the years I've tried writing with and it doesn't work but there's other people that you can collaborate with easy and Derek's really open to ideas and he's, he's a great idea man himself as well um, and he's, his bass playing is just you know when I sat in his living room and he, for, for fun he just started playing the, the, the opening bass line to Waterfront and it's only him it just sounded like him you know I, Wow. I was, and he was telling me that there's actually three bases on Waterfront. He's got the do-do-do-do-do-do, which he sampled um, after playing about four bars or eight bars, and then he put his little harmonic bits on, and it's, you know, there's probably about, including the DI, there's probably about six bases on that track. And Mr. Derek Forbes from Scotland on the bass guitar. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Jamie Guitar Watson's just walked into the room. Hello. Hey, Jamie, how are you? 
Oh, great. Great to have you. Feel, feel free to jump in any time. He's, he's just got out of his bed, so I think he's going to make himself presentable. You may, you may hear back from him in about oh. an hour. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but then all Derek's, Derek fits in. I mean, Derek is having to learn, obviously, Tony's bass lines kind of verbatim for the, the back catalogue. Right. You know, it's kind of written in stone, and you have to adhere to those bass lines. And, I mean, De Derek and Tony, I would say, are, you know, they're, they're both great bass players, and they, they, they both um, do that thing equally, you know. But although on the new stuff that we're doing just now, it's like, Derek, you've got a free reign. You, 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 you're the bass player now. You come up with the goodies. And he's coming up with some mental, amazing stuff, you know. And when he plays the bass... It just sounds like Derek in the same way when Tony picks up the bass, it sounds like Tony. Or right. say the same about John Entwistle. So it's amazing. You think the bass is just it just hovers about there holding the bass notes down. But when you play with different bass players, as I have done over the years with like the likes of Bruce Fox and and um, Glenn Matlock, it's it's amazing. Each bass player just has their own identity. It's really, really cool. Yeah, that, I have to admit, one of the things I was uh, listening out for in the recording that John did recently was, uh, you know, how did Derek fit in? But uh, unfortunately, it wasn't very clear to make out uh, what he was playing and how it sounded. So You never get a true representation from, no. you know, when you, when you watch YouTube, it's fine, you know, it's always, you know, somebody's got a little iPhone and a camcorder and it's, you, you never get the definition, you know, especially from the bass. Yeah, but you can't help but uh, hover over it and try to take it in anyway. So it's a, it's a hopeless task. <laughs> but uh, I guess uh, the new recording will be the first real indication. So what's the status of that and how is it going? Yeah, well, we've been recording at a, a fantastic studio in Wrexham, just on the Welsh border. Um, and it's it's basically it's a nuclear bunker, I think, that's been converted into a studio. And um, we went down there for 10 days just uh, over a few weeks ago and we recorded six songs, three of which are final mixes and the other three have just to be mixed. And then we're going back down in another couple of weeks once Mike finishes his gigs <coughs> and we're going to do the second half of the album. Some of them are the songs we played live last year and some of them are songs that um, we just wrote in the studio. What is the writing process for you guys these days? Is, is it something that, I know you and Jamie do a lot of the writing. Uh, do you guys kind of create a piece of music and then share it with Mike? Or does he create music and share it with you? Or is it both? Yeah, it's kind of exactly how you put it there. You know, sometimes Jamie and I will have something prepared and we'll take it down to the guys. Sometimes um, Mike's got something prepared. Sometimes Mark's even got something prepared. He's not a guitar player, but he can, he plays keyboards, but he doesn't know what he's doing, <laughs> but it actually <laughs> but it works. He's got, because he's got the idea in his head, there's no rules, especially with Mark. And he'll come down with his, um, he's got this big, huge keyboard thing that he's got. And he goes, listen to this. And, you know, there's some great ideas in there as well. So Mark's now writing music instead of just playing fantastic drums, you know. And Derek's obviously, he's been sending me MP3s and stuff that he's been working on as well. So we're going to work on a couple of those ideas. But sometimes some of the songs can just come from us being in the room and it's like, what have you got? <laughs> you got any ideas? Somebody will start playing, somebody will play along and Mike starts, you know, he's the brain goes and he starts singing, you know. When Stuart and I used to work together, Stuart would always, every song we did was an instrumental. 
whether it be Fields of Fire in a Big Country, Chance, Wonderland, every song sounded a bit like The Shadows, like an instrumental, and he would take the, the tape away at the end of the night and come back the next morning because I, I just think Stuart was more private that way. Mike's different, he would kind of, even though he's just singing scratch lyrics or a scratch melody, um, and uh, both ways work, as far as I'm concerned. They're, they're two different approaches, but they both work. What kind of a approach are you guys taking when you sit down to write for Big Country? I mean, are, are you are you like thinking of trying to capture a certain sound, or are you just letting the cards fall where they may and and saying that whatever comes out, this is what what comes out? Well, no, we're, we're not trying to be like contrive a Big Country sound. It's just natural. Because my guitar playing is limited, I'm not a, a Steve Vai kind of guitar player. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm just me. I just play what I can play and if I like it, you know. It's kind of like a bit like Neil Young kind of thing, you know. I mean, it's he's, he's not a Steve Vai kind of character either, but he's, when you hear Neil Young's guitar playing, it's it, it just sounds like how he sings almost, you know. It's just mad, and I love it. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I just basically, I don't consciously sit down with the guys and say, like, we need to write a song that sounds like Big Country. We write a song, and because of the kind of players that we are, it just sounds like sounds like how we sound, you know? The funny thing is, is that guys like Steve Vai might be able to play amazing guitar, but at least in my opinion, very rarely do they write very good songs. So it's... <laughs> <laughs> it's Steve I, not listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's hope he's not listening. Yeah, but, uh, uh, <laughs> but we, we, we write how we write and we perform how we perform and other bands do the same thing and probably think the same way as well, you know. The reason I ask that question the way I do is because a lot of the new stuff that I've heard, um, it, it seems to really vary stylistically. I mean, it, it all sounds like big country, definitely, but you've got like the Angels and Promises song, which to me sounds like it could have come music, musically from like the REL sessions. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, Angels and Promises kind of could have went the opposite way when I first wrote that, the intro guitar riff, that was played on an electric guitar with full distortion. Mm. And when we got in the studio with Bill Nelson, I just kind of thought, you know, maybe maybe try an acoustic guitar at the start, make it almost like a ballad. So I'm kind of glad we did it with the acoustic guitar, but the way it was done originally was real heavy, you know, with a real sort of, that distorted Neil Young kind of sound. Oh, wow. Which, I mean, it could have worked as well, but we just didn't go, go down that approach. Uh, Last Ship Sales was a, a completely different way of writing. Tony basically wrote that song on the bass. He came into the, the studio and he goes, I've got a couple of guitar riffs, well, bass riffs, and he just started playing them. <laughs> um, so he didn't have any guitar parts worked out or melodies, he just had the, the bass parts. So he just played it a few times, Mark started playing drums along to it, and then we just worked out guitars on the top of it. So that's another way of working, you know? Wow. Yeah, so speaking of Angels and Promises, uh, that's going to be on the new album, right? Yeah, that's going to be on the new album. Uh, will you make a new version of the song, or will it be the one we know? Oh, no, we've, we've re- is the version that you're talking about, Spine, is that the one that was on YouTube? Yeah, the one you put on the website. Right, no, no, this will be a, this is a brand new version. This is the one we recorded with Bill Nelson. Oh, fantastic! No, no one's covered this yet. 
Unless, of course, you guys have bootlegged it somehow. <laughs> <laughs> we have, we have not. <laughs> not yet. We have, you know, it's it's funny, Bruce, because uh, when when we did the last show and we had to review some of these songs, I had to really twist Spine's arm to listen to them on YouTube because he want he likes to have the pure experience of listening to the album when it's done, which I can totally understand and respect. I don't I don't have that kind of willpower, so you know, if there's a new thing out there, I I, I go listen. So. Right. <laughs> it was easier to listen to Angels and Promises since that one was done already. So uh, it's uh, it's an interesting song because uh, it may turn out to be the last studio recording that uh, Tony ends up playing on, right? No, that's actually a demo. That version. That's just um, was the first draft of that song. Um, okay. So that's just that, that's just a demo, you know. So the the, the newer version, the, the one we did with Bill Nelson. Is um, like the full the full thing, as it were, you know. Is Bill Nelson uh, is he producing the entire album for you guys, or is that something that I remember on Facebook you said that you might try some different producers? Is yeah, I think the way it's kind of working out, Bill was really really busy with his Nelsonica um, convention, which took out a, a good few months of his life um, the past few months, and wow. we, we couldn't get back in the studio with Bill, but we are hoping to get back in with Bill. Um, at some point, you know, but I don't think Bill will be doing the whole album. I think basically he may do a couple of key tracks. But um, I've also got Rafe McKenna, who co-produced Driving to Damascus. I spoke yeah. to him. Yeah, yeah. And although he doesn't do any studio recording now, he tends to do a lot of remixes and mastering. Um, so we're going to send Rafe a couple of tracks, and um, he's going to um, mix mix a couple for us as well. Let me just ask you kind of a, a general question about the band now and and just the the mood of the band, the spirit of the band. I was I was reading an interview with you from around the year 2000 when I was kind of preparing for this interview and this was um it actually was in the year 2000. You it was right after Big Country had kind of finished their touring with Stewart and you you were asked if Big Country would ever get back together and you said no, it's it's emotionally and spiritually unrewarding for me right now. And so Obviously, that was a tough time for you guys, all of you guys. But I'm wondering, you know, in that span of time, what's what's changed for you now? What what is it about being in big country now that that makes it such a different prospect for you guys? Well, I'm just, I mean, at the time, obviously, I was possibly upset, you know, about what what happened, and it was like a, a big no. But you know, I think people change anyway. Definitely. You know, everyone's got the right to change their mind, and. I think over the past 10 years, especially with the, the internet, the way things are going and websites and YouTube channels and all this kind of stuff, leading up to the the, the, the anniversary of the band, and people were just, it was too much. People were just saying, you know, everyone else is doing a, a, a 30th anniversary. You know, you just did, did one with the skids. Why wouldn't you do it with your own band, you know? <laughs> right. There's just a hell of a lot of interest in big country out there at the moment, as there is, as there is with, with other bands as well. So, you know, everyone else is doing it. I mean, there's no reason why we, we shouldn't do it at all. Exactly. With, with the right people. Does it surprise you that there's still such a huge interest in the band? I mean, you guys just, you know, the interest does not wane. Yes, it's, it's weird. Um, for, for a few years there, I just find myself tied to the internet and. Um, going on the, the Big Country website and seeing that there's still people out there that are really interested in what the band's up to, you know. And not not just the the older 
um, historic songs, people want to hear new stuff as well. And I think that's kind of what inspired Jamie and I to go out and start doing stuff. Obviously, Jamie was young at the time, and um, as he's got older and older, he's you know picking up the guitar and wanting to go out and do shows. And then he, he did the skid stuff. And I kind of thought, well, we'd sit in the back room where I'm sitting right now, by the way. And, <laughs> you know, Jamie would, I would come in from a shopping trip and Jamie would be there with a the guitar over his neck going, listen to this, Dad, I've just written a, a hit single. And I'll go, well, let me show you where you went wrong with the chorus, son, you know. <laughs> and I'd get my guitar out and then we just ended up, ended up writing songs. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I was also wondering about the new album. Uh, <laughs> Tony Butler put it out that uh, he was uh, offering basically to master the album if you would need his services there. Are you likely to take him up on that offer? Possibly. I mean, that was one thing Tony did say was uh, because Tony has like a mastering facilities um, Tony just wants, he basically is kind of, he's had enough, uh, you know, just touring and recording and he wants to do it. He's got to the stage in his life, he wants to do other things, you know, which is fine. That's great. I mean, we'll always be the best of friends. So, but Tony did say, well, you know, if you want your album mastered, you know, I'm your man. So we'll definitely give them a shout. It's good to hear that you guys are still, you know, on good terms as well, because that's, I think that's something that's important to the fans as well to know that, you know, obviously there's there's some issues going on there, but it's nice to know that you're being able to maintain that friendship. Yeah. Oh, there's certainly no issues with Tony. I mean, like Tony said to me, he's got, uh, you know, he wants to, you know, go and trace his roots over in the West Indies and stuff like that. And he wants to travel and do different things. Um, I mean, he's he's a lot older than me, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're you're the you're you're the young chap in big country. Yeah. Well, Jamie's a young chap now, but I'm I'm kind of sick. <laughs> That's true. But, well, Tony just wants Tony just wants a, a change in life, you know, and quite quite rightly so. Right. So, uh, so I'll go back again to the new songs. Uh, I asked a question in the Facebook chat uh, previously that Mike answered, but I'd like to have your take on this also, uh, that there is a segment of fans that are yearning for the next uh, big country epic. It's been quite a few years since you had epic songs uh, on an album. So are you, do you have any plans for those things? Well, it depends what you mean by epic. Um, give, me a, give me a song title. And I'll <laughs> yeah, songs like The Crossing, The the more swirling, huge, grandiose, uh, long uh, like with, with multiple time mean, changes and time signature changes and like a, a portal man kind of thing. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, I mean that that um, those kind of songs like Portal Man and the Storm, you know, they all belong to that album, The Crossing. Mm-hmm. And I think after we after that album, we. We didn't really do any of what you would call those epic tracks after that first album anyway. Every album that we did after that was more of a, a collection of songs. But that's not to say that we're not going to... Like I said, we're not going to sit down and contrive this and say, let's write a, an epic, in inverted commas, like Porro Man or something like that. Banged into Postman Park. <laughs> right, right. Well, I think, I think Mike's response on that Facebook question was he said something like... Um, he said, yes, uh, Bruce has mentioned to me recently that we need some more adventure songs. Yes. So, do, I, do you remember saying that to him? And is that kind of in oh, vain? No, de- definitely. I mean, I think what we're talking about is, you know, a kind of song with some, not, not, so, not so much the word concept, but, um, you know, just uh, a song that's maybe got some interesting guitar passages at the start and, 
you know, but like I said, we're not, we're not going to contrive it. We're not going to do, go, like, go out and rewrite Porrow Man or that. If, if something happens naturally, then then we'll go with it, you know? Well, well let me uh, let me kind of wrap up the, this period about uh, this period of the interview with the, about the new band of just talking a little bit about Mike. I mean, I know you've, you've been with them now for a number of years uh, as fronting Big Country, so I know you've talked about this a lot before, but... You know, how is how is Mike doing and and uh, health wise? Is he doing okay? And and just what is it like to have a guy like that in the band with you right now? I mean, someone who just sings his heart out on every song. And well, I mean, Mike's. I mean, th- through the, the illness that, that he's got, kind of thing, he's he's got more energy than I'll ever have. He he, he lives every minute of every day to the full. Um, he comes up with ten ideas a day either musically or creatively, of which I can maybe handle two, you know. <laughs> um, he's, he's just a ball of energy, you know. He's great frontsman, great singer, um, great, great to write with, got some fantastic ideas. Um, I always remember, even years back, when, when Stuart was still alive, and Stuart had moved out to America, and obviously the band, we, we, the band had split up anyway. Right. And, um, he was happy for Mike to join Big Country even at that time because he was out doing his Raphael stuff and obviously there was other things happening in his life at the time. And uh, Mike actually came down and rehearsed with us. Wow. And, you know, but when I say it didn't work out, it wasn't that it didn't work out, it's just that obviously it was a a strange time and then Stuart passed away and obviously we never never really did anything until Mike came out with us at Sandam to do a, a big country convention. But at that time, Mike was, um, he'd put the alarm back together anyway and things were, were looking good for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, it, it just nothing materialised out of it. And then, two years ago, when we were doing the, the anniversary thing, it was, Mike was, for me, was the obvious choice. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I can't imagine anyone else at this point. It, it was, yeah. was he always a, a, a big, big country fan? I mean, the, the one thing that, I I try to wrap my head around is like why would Mike, who's so well known for the Alarm and some of his solo stuff, be so willing to come into that role, and and really he just seems to be so reverential and of of the big country legacy and as you've said in the past he doesn't want to do any Alarm songs in the band and um it's just it's amazing to me that that he has that attitude I mean about well, I the think band. it's I think it's a new thing for Mike as well and it's a challenge. Um, he's never had to do something like this before. And mm. um, when Mike's in Mike Peters mode, he's out there um, doing solo acoustic songs, alarm songs, or Mike Peters songs. And when he goes out with the alarm, it's kind of stuff that he's written. Um, and he gets guys in like Craig and James and Smiley, and they come along and, and play, you know. But with the big country thing, it's uh, you've got five guys who are all kind of creative and all writers anyway. Right. And it's, it's kind, of, kind of a bit like a co-op as well, where we're all involved. Um, and I think that's kind of new for Mike, because when Mike was in the original Alarm, I'm, I'm assuming that would have been a similar scenario where he's got, you know, Twist and Sharpie and that, mm-hmm. and Eddie, you know, sitting, c- contributing equally in a room or whatever. And I think he's maybe maybe missed that, and he wants to collect. I mean, this is only me assuming that. And I just think he likes the the collaboration. Very interesting. That makes a lot of sense, actually. But also, another, another weird thing as well. Derek Forbes could have almost been Big Country's first bass player as well. Oh, really? Just thought about that when Stuart and I 
demoed Heart and Soul and Angle Park at um, Timehouse Studios down in London. Um, Simple Minds were in there doing an album with um, Steve Hillage producing, and uh, we got talking to them. And Stuart, Stuart had always said, you know, I was, I was going to ask Derek to play bass on the demos, but he kind of, he kind of didn't. <laughs> That's great. Uh, it's kind of weird how it's, these things sort of turn around, you know. Yeah, seriously. Very strange. Big Country's not a band where Mark and I would say, right, let's just get a bunch of session musicians in. You could, be, you could go down that route, but, you know, I, I just don't think it would be right, you know. I agree. I mean... You know, there was a, there was a special chemistry with the four of you originally, and I think the one thing that I really love about the new lineup, and you know, especially with the connections that Derek has to the past, is that you've you've got a different chemistry, but it's still a very much a band chemistry that seems to be true to yes. the legacy of the band. Yeah, I mean, since the company split up, I've been involved in various projects, either with Fish or Dead Men Walking or um, Four Good Men, um, and a couple of other little musical ideas, but. This one feels right, definitely. I believe that we've got the the right people for the job, and it's, it's good fun as well. You know, it really is a great time for us just now because we're having fun and we're being creative. I would like to go back to the initial call to Mike uh, when you uh, were going to ask him to join Big Country, and uh, just given how busy Mike already was with all his projects, how sure were you that he would actually be able to say yes? Well, I, I didn't. It was just a matter of putting the call into him. Um, and I think when I called him, he was halfway up a mountain. You yes. know, he was doing a climb. Um, <laughs> Mike, you sound a little bit out of breath. <laughs> he's, he's always halfway up a mountain, it seems. Yeah, he's always, he's, always, he's always climbing something, Mike, you know. Yes, and he succeeds too. Yeah, yeah. But I kind of thought in the back of my mind, Mike would... Do it just because I've worked with Mike before, obviously with the, the Dead Men Walking thing, and um, we did the Zandam thing, which I mentioned before as well. Yeah. And I just kind of thought, <clears throat> I really hope he says yes, but as well as that, I just knew how busy he was, either doing the alarm or his charity work or you know solo Mike Peters shows, and I just thought, if he says no, then who else is there? And I can't imagine. I don't think we would have done it. I don't think we would have pursued it. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, there's other singers out there that are great and stuff, but I think it, it can only work for Mike. Uh, Mike. I'm glad he said yes. <laughs> yeah, we are too. <laughs> yeah, he, he usually says yes. That's one of the things that's amazing about that guy. That I don't, I can't recall a lot of no's. Uh, <laughs> it might be the first time he walked out of the alarm. That might have been a no, but <laughs> that's a, a unique situation. Uh, but I'm also a bit curious about what you proposed to Mike in terms of scope. Did you propose, let's try a tour? Uh, did you propose a long-term setup or take it by air? No, definitely not. We just, it was a matter of let's get together and knock the band in shape and, and just see what we come up with. There was no master plan. In fact, there's never been a master plan throughout the whole lifespan of big country. We just, I think, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. We, we, we never plan. We just sort of turn up and, and do something and hope that it sticks. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Well, you know, Mike said on the on the Facebook page or on, on the Facebook chat that he had hopes that you guys would play every single big country song ever written at some point. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, how does that... 
How does that well, make Mike, you feel? <laughs> Mike, Mike is also completely mad. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way we could even contemplate playing every song you've ever written. Well, we were, we were going to ask you if you've rehearsed Eggplant yet. Oh, my God. <laughs> Last night, you wiped your feet like I'm a rug. And I crawled like I was a bug. The night to feel like I was a slug. Oh, life's a drag when you're a snail. That was an interesting session. That was basically just us after a few tipples having a little <laughs> in the studio in downtime, you know? Oh, it's hilarious. I love it. Well, you got to have one, don't you? you got to have one crazy track. And, <laughs> and it's, it's a bit like Marmite, you know? I don't, I don't know. You guys get Marmite out in America? I've heard that term, but no, we do not get it. I'm not exactly sure what it is. It's like a, it's like a bovine paste that you can spread on toast. Um, <laughs> it's... Um, it's, it's a love or hate thing, you know, you either love it or you hate it. <laughs> we have other uses for bovine paste over here. <laughs> <laughs> right, anyway, we won't go into your sex life, let's talk about things. <laughs> Bruce, the last question I have for you, and then, and then I'd like to move on to to your stuff with Jamie and your solo stuff with him, but is, 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 there, a, is there a new song at the moment that's really got you excited? I mean, I'm sure obviously you're excited by all of them, but is there... Is there one in particular that you really think is stellar at this point that that's a favorite for you? Oh, well, I was I was actually having a, a playback this morning um, so I can send the MP3s to the guys. Um, there's one, one song called After the Flood, which is a um, mm. big favorite in my house at the moment. Um, and I'm also partial to Last Ship Sales just because it's very, very... It's very punky. It's where I come from, you know? Yeah, exactly. Mm. I want to talk to you about Jamie and how he fits in the band because, I mean, Svine and I are both fathers of, of young young boys. I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and, and Svine's yours is five years old, right? Yep. So, I mean, both of us, as we raise our sons, I mean, we, we look at other people, and i got to say, you know, you have, at least from, from an outsider's perspective, it seems like you have a really special and... I want to say even rare relationship with Jamie because it's, it's so rare that a son, you know, wants to be involved with what his dad is doing and thinks it's cool and wants to be a part of it. You know, usually they go the other way. And, I, you know, that's what I did as a kid. That's funny. Jamie's yeah. he's just keeping the room and he's laughing at me. <laughs> Jamie, you have good timing. So, I'm, Hey, how you doing? I, I'm just wondering how I mean, you, you talked a little bit about it already, about how you came home and Jamie would be playing and you would kind of sit there and try to help him write a chorus and that kind of thing. But <laughs> how, how did you guys get started in actually, you know, writing songs together? Well, I mean, when Jamie was really young, I mean, he's always loved coming to the gigs and stuff like that. And Big Country's been a big part of his life because he, he's played that stuff from when he was young. And, you know, he got into guitar. How old are you when you started guitar, Jamie? Well, it must have been about 13. He said he was about 13. I was obviously out on the road at the time being a irresponsible father. You know? <laughs> and uh, come home and, you know, off tour, then Jamie's got one of my guitars and he's learning to play, you know, and then I'd go away and come back and it's like, my God, how did you learn to do that? You know, wow. <laughs> completely overtaking me. I mean, like I say, I ain't a technical guitarist. Jamie's more of a technician than what I am. Um, but Jamie's obviously 
coming from a, a different perspective. He's been writing his own stuff as well, and it's the kind of thing that we've been doing with the, the Bruce and Jamie Watson project, and also he's been writing with the big country thing as well, you know. And it's, it's I don't know, Jamie and I do have a, a father-son relationship, but we're, we're mates as well, you know, and he, he, sometimes he has to look after me. <laughs> You'll find that out in later life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm finding a little bit out now, but uh, yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. So so how, do, how does that dynamic, you know, that father-son dynamic work for you guys on the stage? I mean, is it, does it be, when you guys are playing together, is it just you kind of become just bandmates, or does that always... You know, is there always an issue between, hey, you know, I'm your dad, you're going to do it this way? <laughs> oh, no, I mean, what I tend to do when I'm on stage with Jamie is, if I make a mistake, I'll give Jamie a dirty look and people think it's him. <laughs> and that's what Stuart used to do to me. He would look at me, would give me the dirty look and people would go, oh, Watson's made a mistake. <laughs> It's not a father-son thing when we're on tour. It's we're um, members of the same band when we're out on the road. Right. And, you know, it's you just do what you got to do. Jamie does his thing during the day, and I do my thing during the day. Whereas um, I like to stay at a venue and just sit and you know just tune up and play guitar. Mike does the same as well. Mike and I like to, to stay at the same venue. Mm. Whereas Jamie and Mark like to go back to the hotel and. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get a bit stir crazy staying at a gig all day. <laughs> Especially when Mark's doing his sound check on the drums. There's only so much drums you can hear in one day. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll agree with that. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Well, love you, Mark. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, drums are great when, when you listen to them accompanied by music. <laughs> it's like, no! No! <laughs> So maybe I can ask you how you divide your guitar duties between you. Do you share solos or do you gravitate? One of you do more rhythms, one of you do more solos, or how do you work out who plays what? Um, differently. Um, if you're talking about <clears throat> historical big country stuff, sometimes I'll play exactly what I played originally. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes um, Jamie will play Stuart's parts. But that's not always the case because sometimes I'll play some of Stuart's parts as well as my own parts. Like the solo in Restless Natives and things like that. Yeah, I'll play, like, for instance, the start of Restless Natives, I'll play my, the delay guitar, the ding, digga, 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 and then Jamie will come in with Stuart's part, the rhythm, and then I'll take Stuart's solo. things that we do as well that Stuart and I never did, like for instance in Fields of Fire, Jamie and I have added the, the harmony guitars Yes, I never played before, so... Mm-hmm. From the single mix, right? I think it was? Yeah.
because what you've got to remember is, and it's like the difference between Mike and Stuart is, Mike's a singer that plays guitar, Stuart's a guitarist that sings. <laughs> right. And, and when Stuart was singing, he would just switch to rhythm, and I would play like a cross rhythm or, or a lead line in the background. Mm. But now that, that Jamie's on board, Jamie's not doing any vocals, like lead vocals, apart from the occasional backing vocal. So that frees the guitars up to, to do some to do a lot more stuff than even what we could do back in the original days. And it was kind of the same thing when we got asked to play with the Skids. Um, there was a band that originally had one guitar player, Stuart, who did backing vocals at that time. And when we listened to the Skids records, I kind of said to Jamie, well, I'll learn the bulk of Stuart's main parts. And if you pick out the harmony guitars and pick out the, um, oh, the synthesizer parts, mm. Jamie got some effects and made his guitar sound like some of those old synth parts, you know? So it was just a matter of sitting down and listening back to Skids and Big Country back catalogue and picking out the, the overdubs that you heard the most. Because right. I, I didn't want to just go out there and do, I'll play my guitar and Jamie, you play Stuart's guitar. I just I didn't want it to be like that. I wanted to just embellish what was there before and just try and bring something new to the party. Well, I, th- I think you guys have done a fantastic job. I mean, as a guitar player myself, I, I can kind of, Somehow, sometimes pick out, you know, like Jamie playing Bruce's uh, original part in Inwards, I think. Is that correct? Like, uh, Jamie, yeah. you play the opening part, and then Bruce, you kind of play what Stuart used to play in that tune. And but It's like the start of Inwards, Jamie plays my guitar. That's what I call the sequence of part. And when we wrote that song originally, Stuart and I, way back, we uh, Stuart had a Yamaha sequencer. And mm. basically, I just copied on guitar what he played on the, on the sequencer. Okay. So Jamie plays, Jamie plays that part now, then I do Stuart's melody at the start, only because I've got an MXR pitch transposer on stage, <laughs> and Jamie doesn't have one. Um, and then we go into the, the main bit of the song, and then Jamie takes Stuart's part, and then we both double up on the, the verses. That opening part, the way you guys used to play it, um, always used to remind, remind me of a, of a chicken. Like a tuck, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, plucky. Yes, exactly. Very plucky sounding. Yes, well, I love it. I love it. Let me ask you guys a little bit about uh, the Bruce and Jamie Watson stuff because people who are listening to this, if you don't have this stuff already, I mean, really, you should get it because some fantastic songs on here. Uh, uh, you guys have done quite a few CDs, actually, and I guess another anthem for the damned is is your most uh, produced and polished CD. Yeah. And uh, how, how did that whole project come about? I mean, when did when did you guys sit down and start to decide that you wanted to do something like this together and write songs together like this? Well, it goes back to the time where, um, like I said, well, I'd come home from somewhere and Jamie would be in the house with the guitar. Yeah. And um, we thought, kind of thought, about putting a band together, didn't we? About you know getting a drummer and a bass player. And, it was just going to be too time-consuming, and you know, do I really want to put together another band and have, you know, other guys involved and the logistics of putting together a band? And we just kind of thought, well, it's kind of good fun, and kind of like how it sounded with just the two guitar, two acoustic guitars, or the acoustic and the mandolin. And Jamie's friend, a guy called Magnus Colley, um, who's the same age as Jamie, um, they've grown up all the way through school and stuff. He went on a, a college course to learn how to use Pro Tools and sound, sound recording, you know, and he set up a, a little studio at his house. Fantastic. And, and, he, and he lives a street away from us, you know, so 
we said, well, we've got this song, but, you know, Magnus goes, well, come into the house and, you know, record it. And obviously he was learning his trade as well, so he wanted someone to record. And I think he kind of used us as guinea pigs. <laughs> we were really pleased with the, the results. Um, we thought, well, hold up, this, if we keep going the way we're going, we can maybe get an album out of this, because we were really pr- prolific and really getting off on each other's playing and songs. And mm. Jamie's coming up with stuff I would, like chord structures that I wouldn't even dream of, dream of doing, because I'm limited. And um, we just kept it acoustic, because that's how we wrote it. Right. Um, there's, there's not any drums on that album. All the the sounds that you hear on that album are either it's like it's us banging our feet or clapping our hands, yeah, and, uh, or playing the washboard that um, John came with <laughs> us and good job, John. <laughs> I love that washboard sound, and I love all of those natural acoustic sounds that you guys have. And the the one track that really stands out to me, I mean, there are a lot of them, but Dakota Sunset. I think is just an amazing, haunting song. I mean, so much of that comes through with those claps and those yelps, and and yeah. you know, it's got a very, as I was saying, and I'm sure this was intentional. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's got very much a spaghetti western type of Sergio Leone, uh, good, yeah. the bad, and the ugly theme, feel to it. You know? Yeah, completely. I mean, again, we didn't go out of way to to, to do that. Um, like we didn't have a drum machine, we had no rhythm or backbeat, and it was like Magnus said, "Oh, let's just stick a microphone on the floor, and you can, you know, don't step, step on my microphone, but bang your feet next to it, and then <laughs> with the hand claps and things like that." Always, they never sound right until you you hit that magic reverb button, and it all comes alive. <laughs> right, exactly. City, 8 p.m. The winter chills of horses in his head. Our Rosemary, our baby, is the angel of destruction, she said. Judy Garland waits a smile. Boris Kyle lived there too. Lauren Bacall, you never knew the horror of Dakota sunset. passage in there and I, I didn't know what to put so I stuck my, my hand up to my mouth and I went like this and I just did that <laughs> the minute you hit that magic <laughs> it sounds like a ghost <laughs> Oh, 
loads of organic sounds on that recording. You know? I, I I love it. It works so it works so beautifully. And nine four November. I mean, that's when I was going to even get to. I mean, it was is that. I was looking on John's site, and I noticed that that's kind of written about the the crash. I mean, at least inspired somehow by the crash of uh, with Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, the Big Bopper. There's a story in every one of those songs that some of the stories are kind of subliminal. Um, the 9th November one was sort of, you know, I was doing a bit of research on it, and there was all these conspiracy, conspiracy theories saying, well, you know, did they have a gun in the cockpit? And... Is that what happened? Was there a fight in there? But obviously, you'll never know. No one will ever know, yeah? And I just okay. kind of thought, thought it kind of interesting thing to write about. And the, the Dakota Sunset song that's just kind of, if I imagined New York City being the most, you've got the Dakota building there, and there's, you know, there's so many tragedies happening there and so many strange people there. It's almost like it's the, the most evilest building in New York City, you know? <laughs> right. With Rosemary's Baby being filmed there, filmed there, and obviously John Lennon, um, and all these people that live there. And I just kind of thought, you know, this is this is really weird. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going down some weird avenues with these lyrics, because I'm not, I'm not really, really a, a lyricist. I just come up with what I come up with, you know? I wanted to ask you about your lyrics, because this is going to sound like, you know, I'm saying this because you're on the on the line here, but I honestly mean it. I mean, I think you're selling yourself very short as a lyricist because your your lyrics, I think, are, are beautifully poetic throughout this. And the one thing that really strikes me about a lot of your songs uh, for for these albums is that a lot of them lyrically seem almost like period pieces. I mean, it, they seem like they're set in a certain time. Like uh, you mentioned, people like Nikolai Tesla, Isadora Duncan, and and yeah. s- situations like Shoeshine Boys and the circus seems to be like a motif that recurs throughout a, a couple of these songs. I mean, can you talk a little bit about your, your lyric writing process for these songs and, and you know, where your mind t- takes you when you're trying to come up with inspiration to write lyrics? I, I don't know. I, I tend to try and just think a bit left field when I'm doing my lyrics. I certainly don't see them as poetry. Or if they are poetry, they're really bad, bad poetry. It's really bad poetry. But I tend to... I just can't sing a throwaway kind of idea, you know. I like to do, I like to think of some sort of story, and I'll get my my beginning and I'll get my end, and then I'll go in and sort of the middle middle bit of the story. Right. Uh, you've got to do a bit of research as well, a bit of reading, a bit of going online and finding out about. I don't know. Maybe I've sat down and watched a, a movie, and something's captured my imagination, and then I'll go away and kind of write about it and then like I said do a bit more research and then change it completely you know so I think there's a bit, a bit, a bit of book reading in there not, not, not so much I don't read so many books but I definitely get inspiration from a lot of um, DVDs that I've put on and stuff like that it's a kind of hard thing to talk about I can talk about my guitar playing more right. easily than I can talk about my lyrics uh, I don't write lyrics for Big Country I just write lyrics for Bruce and Jamie stuff you know Okay, well... And I think I, it's because I'm only strumming an acoustic guitar. <laughs> right, right. Whereas right. the big country stuff, I'm going to play a lot of uh, like guitar pieces, you know, and I, I don't I do not do vocals with big country, as you mean. Oh. Well, I, that's actually interesting that you say that, because that, that reminds me of a question I was going to ask, if you were going to maybe do a vocal on a, on a big country album. So you just answered my question there. <laughs> I, I don't think I, so. <laughs> I, uh, well, you know, put me in as someone then who who likes bad poetry because I I really like some of your lines like a rose in bloom is never damned is something that struck me as being a very powerful line and I love your voice I love your your voice Bruce I think it's it's got a lot of soul and passion in it and 
at least to my ears, it's kind of like a an interesting cross between a punkish Bob Dylan and a Joe Strummerish. Maybe even a right. little, maybe even a little Shane McGowan thrown in there. I don't know, but yeah, so I've got, a, I've got a sort of non-singing singing voice, if that makes sense. <laughs> uh, I, I think it works. I was speaking to my lawyer um, a few weeks ago, and I'd given him a copy of the, the Bruce and Jamie album, and um, he, I was surprised he actually played it and he, he liked it and he listened to it and he goes, "You remind me of Warren Zevon," and I went. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know much about Warren Zevon apart from um, Wearables of London. Right. And then so I did my usual went and did a wee bit of research on Warren Zevon and I think the guy was a, a complete genius. Mm. But I'm not saying that I sound anything like him, I don't, but kind of, I think it was overall the vibe and the when I listen to Warren Zevon's songs, uh, kind of, there is a there is a story in each one. And um, it's absolutely amazing. I'm going to do more research on, on the guy because I, I never got him first time around. This guy's a genius, you know. I, I kind of picture him as being like a Hunter S. Thompson kind of, you know, <laughs> left field maverick kind of guy, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I, love, I, just, I just love characters, you know, characters like that. They're just they're so interesting. I mean, that comes through in your songwriting because you've got so many stories throughout these songs that you can – it, it kind of takes me back to the, the early days of big country and that there, as an American, there were a lot of things that Stewart sang about and wrote about that I didn't quite understand, but yet it connected with me on some level. Yeah. And that's the kind of the way I get from your, from a lot of your songs. And, uh, you know, they're all available on iTunes. Is that correct? Oh, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Possibly. Are they Jamie? I don't know. I can't find my album just now. <laughs> <laughs> and Jamie, I, I also want to, really compliment you on your mandolin playing i mean when i when i first heard cathedrals were all white in amsterdam i thought okay that's bruce playing mandolin because you know i'm used to him playing it on big country songs yeah. but then i saw i saw a video of it and that's you playing and you're you're playing some kick-ass mandolin there so <laughs> oh, thank you very much i've stopped playing mandolin i just i, I don't know it's jamie just picks up the mandolin and it's like wow great it'll save me from having to do it <laughs> <laughs>
like my, my kind of 9-11 song, you know, it's, you know, about what happened in New York all, all those years ago, yeah. you know, and you, especially the, the later line when the coward sent the lions to the lambs, you know, it's, it's you know, it's, again, I just, I don't know why I thought about it, you know, it just kind of came out that way, and it's also got a mean kazoo solo on it. Oh, yeah, the, the kazoo. So heavy, it's got a kazoo solo on it, and I'm just... Which is something we always did with Big Country, you know, we could write the most jolliest of tunes and Stuart's lyrics would be the most depressing, you know, I would go inside my head and you've got this real up-tempo rocker. Um, it's just something that's inbuilt in us. But yeah, that, that's, that was my, my kind of 9-11 song. If you, if you kind of analyse each lyric as you go through it, it kind of makes sense and then it kind of goes off in a tangent and it comes back again, you know. We should start selling some Bruce and Jamie Watson kazoos, I think. Oh, yeah, maybe give some out of eggs and they can do the solo for us instead of us having to play it live. How enterprising of you, young man. That's a, that's a fantastic <laughs> idea, actually. Just give them all free kazoos and they can play the solos for us. That's going to cost them all the money to get these kazoos and give them away free. Who did the little uh, keyboard techno-y type of thing on uh, Edison's Last Stand? Because I think that's really cool. It goes throughout that song. Yeah, that's the only thing that's got a drum machine on it. That's basically a kind of sampler. That's a sample sort of drum beat. And for the hi hats, I got uh, an aerosol can, and I just went tss, 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 like fly uh-huh. space. It's not like what Joy Division done in their record. <laughs> yeah, they yeah, using hi hats. They used deodorant cans. They said they said they got a bit uh, overpowering in the studio, so they had to stop it. That's <laughs> <laughs> funny. That was probably one of the the highest I've been through a recording session. <laughs> Jamie, Jamie, let me ask you. Uh, I mean, what, what are your what are your aspirations long term for music? I mean, is is this something that you want to make a, li- a long term career out of? Uh, yeah, most definitely. Um, well, I can't I can't really do anything else. I'm not qualified in anything else. Oh. So, <laughs> me, so it looks like I'm stuck in this for the rest of my life. <laughs> there are worse ways to make a living. And, and... Well, definitely. Um, well, and funnily enough, it was really nice to hear. I heard from my my old music teacher from school. He actually Facebooked me the other night, and uh, 
it was really nice to hear from him because he was really a big inspiration in my life and mm. at the time when I was going to school and music wasn't a really big thing. It was either football or you played in the rugby team. If you walked about with a guitar, folk thought you were a bender or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it was quite a, hard, <laughs> quite a hard part to try and grow up, especially in Dunfermline at the time when it had such a strong music scene for going to having one and not having one. And uh, the guy sent me an email and he goes, remember, Jamie, the, the worst thing about being in a band is not being in a band. And it's a true statement, I think, if you really think about it. Wow, that, yeah. And it was powerful, especially hearing it from somebody that I've respected from my uh, early, earlier days. <laughs> As you can tell, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get Swine to, to listen to all this stuff. He hasn't had a chance yet, so he, he hasn't been able to ask the questions. Yeah, that I've I'm much more newer coming to this stuff, so I've... Uh... I've gotten the same impression he got that this is the most polished album, so I've tried to start with that, but to be honest, that, that uh, live acoustic one is the one that resonates more with me right now, so I've been getting into that. Oh, yes, the one that we recorded at Lathones, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lathones, you, you guys did some very cool big country covers, uh, Made in Heaven, you did that a great version of that, too. Did we? Oh, my God, I'm, uh, I can't remember. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's yeah. Listen now, there's no time to explain I've been here such a short time, I will be here again If you hear my words in the darkness, you know what Don't be afraid, it only says you did not wait in vain Even the bad things are made in heaven Even the cold heart, even the foolish love Are the rundown days all around down living Even the bad things are made in heaven I think at, the, at that time uh, Jamie and I only had a couple of songs written um, maybe about half a dozen and we'd been asked to do a couple of shows um, up at Inet with Owens and we just thought well we ain't got as many songs written so we can just going to have to plunder some of the big country back catalogue and <laughs> A couple of uh, cover verses just to, to fill it out a little bit, you know. Yeah, you chose some good ones. You did "What About Peace" as well, which is which is a very obscure B side. So that was yeah. cool. How was a keeper in the garden I did. I never knew what those kids were eating. Never tell about the snake in the apple Never get close to anything that rattles I was a pilot of a nuclear bomber I know the rules of my glory and honor I never know how many people they target I don't build the things I only drive What about peace? What about love? What about me and you? What about the truth? What about changing your mind? I love doing that song and, you know, I just, it's one of those sort of forgotten lost songs, you know, that ended up on a rarities album or a B-side or something. And I, I don't know why I never came across it before. And then I was going through some of the back catalogue just to look at things that I could do. 
and uh, what about peace? I thought instead of because it kind of sounds a bit like the Who with the big drum fill at the start and the big power chords. Yeah, it's got I a rocking in the free world type of feel to it. Yeah, so it's kind of got a Dylan vibe about it as well, the way that we do it. You know, it's quite oh. a tough song to sing, and I also left. I think I left a couple of bits out of it. And I also noticed that Stuart kind of on the last verse he copied the first verse, which he never really did. You know, he always every verse was usually kind of different. We never got around to finishing that song properly, and maybe that's why it kind of ended up like, like that. You know, it, it might even be worth revisiting revisiting at some point. I do want to ask Jamie a question if he's still there. Yeah. Okay, can, I, can I just nip into the kitchen and make a quick coffee? I'm getting oh yeah, done. definitely, definitely. Oh, Jamie, Jamie, I'm just curious. You know, what was it like for you? Uh, you know, growing up with with Bruce uh, being in Big Country, and I, I guess he was, you know, away touring a lot. I mean, was was music something that you you picked up? You think as a result of of watching what your dad was doing, or was it something that's just, you know, always a part of you? Um, yeah, my dad was always away a lot, so it was. Um, you would see him every couple of months when they were out, like, when they were doing Kosovo and things like that, they were away for a wee while. Um, but yeah, I would always sort of just, my friends have always played in bands and things like that and picked up the guitar, so they sort of showed me my first few chords and things like that, and then just to really picked it up from there. But actually, I wanted to be a drummer to start off with, which is a weird. Mark used to show me how to play drums whenever they were recording or rehearsing, he would always get me up in the drum kit and things like that. And, not that I was any good, to be honest, but uh, that's what, I wanted to be a drummer and things. So I think that's where I get my rhythm sort of style from playing as well. Yeah. Like, good at rhythm and things like that, but that's probably down to me starting off learning how to play the drums, to be honest. So I sort of drew that to Mark. <laughs> so thanks, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't ask for a much better teacher, I would imagine. Oh, he's fantastic. He's really patient as well, so that always helps. <laughs> oh, that's great coming from you know two old big country fans here we just we just want to say that you're doing an awesome job and you know we, we really appreciate all the work that you're putting into the band because i mean the, the two guitar attack is back in the band and you're a huge part of that obviously so thanks for all you're doing no, thank you very much thanks for all you guys supporting the band otherwise i wouldn't have the opportunity to be doing this now so it's a kind of a catch 22 really so thank you <laughs> no problem no problem He's also cheap and available. Yes, very cheap. <laughs> well, it's pretty. It's pretty awesome to have you. You know, to be uh, related to your other guitar player because, yeah, I know. I know that getting new people in a band is always a risky proposition. So. Is indeed. Yeah. So you know, you know, Mike is awesome, and I can't imagine that you could have picked a better singer. But yeah, as I mentioned on the on past podcast, you know, I was kind of. I, I have sent, been sending you big country covers for years, and I, I was a little disappointed that you guys didn't even consider me as a possibility. And you know, so I, I was I was hoping, you know, since Jamie's there, that maybe yeah, I've got a mic set up here, and um, I don't know, maybe we could try some. You guys did piece in our time recently at the Hard Rock Show, and it sounded pretty cool. I mean, if you guys want to try that, maybe maybe I could at least sing it. Do you are you sure you want to do this, Des? I mean, do you know what you're letting yourself in for? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, 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 I'd, I'd like to try it. I'd like to try it. We'll see what we'll see what happens. Like a, a hands across the ocean moment. Yes, exactly. Oh, oh I just so happens I found a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> um, peace no time. How does it go? Uh, hey, if you don't mind, I'm gonna play some mando guitar on this too. I'll count you in. All right, great. One, two, three. 
misery or the purse of greed and the gunmen reap what the gangsters sow and law is cheap when the smugglers go give us peace in our time give us peace in our time while I have a lot left then I have no Kiss rooms in city slums. Minds are restless till the air mail comes from the forest floor to the western mine. Like a chat show topic on a party line. And the hardest love of all is to forgive as the world comes tumbling down. Give us peace in our time Give us peace in our time While I have a life to live Then I have no life to give Oh, give us peace in our time Let all the rain come down on blind desire stronger voice and a stronger law but the buyers buy and the sellers sell public consumption of a private give us peace in our time give us peace in our time while I have a life left then I have no life to That was good fun. This uh, your voice kind of reminds me of um, early days, Stuart. Actually, on that one. Oh so, wow! Well, thank you very much for doing that. And um, you, you've now become big country singer for one evening only. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! I, I appreciate it. That's that's a that's a dream come true. I used to sing to, I used to sing to all these songs in my room, and I still do. You know, as an as a older man, so. <laughs> That was all. Awesome. I appreciate it. Used it used to be the mom and dad saying "shut up." Now it's the wife. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Good one's fine. Good one. Okay, so did we or did we not tell you that the tenth episode of the Great Divide was going to be a milestone episode? Our first interview, and we couldn't have picked a better guy to interview, Bruce Watson. And the next two episodes of this podcast are going to be really, really cool because Bruce is going to go through every big country studio album and talk about his favorite tracks and talk about some some of his memories from recording these albums. So it should be a fantastic listen for big country geeks like us. 
So thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much especially to Bruce, to Sandra, to Jamie, to Willie Welder, to John Gouveia. Email us at bigcountrypodcast at gmail.com or visit us on Facebook and like our page, The Great Divide. And on behalf of Svein, this is Tom signing off, and we will see you very soon. It's like a bovine paste that you can spread on toast.